Hello, everyone, and welcome to Australia on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Melinda Farrell, and joining me, as always, is Bharat Sundaresan, uh, still in Adelaide, but about to arrive in Brisbane, where I am ahead of Australia's series against South Africa. And what's really amazing is that I'm on my monitor, my laptop, I'm looking at Bharat and he just froze mid-salute. It was like standing (laughs) to attention, which I'm very happy about. Look, Australia on 99.94 is your home for Australian content. We will be dropping into your podcast feed on YouTube or the 99.94 app. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Well, Bharat, you've been busy watching Australia play against West Indies, uh, two pretty big wins in the end. I've been hanging out at Allen Border Field in Brisbane watching South Africa play a Cricket Australia 11. So kind of feel like we've been covering both sides as we head into the first series between the two sides since the infamous Sandpaper Gate uh, series, uh, which will no doubt, I have no doubt, uh, be mentioned many times uh, throughout the next few weeks, just because that's the way that's the way things roll. You, you know that's going to you know that's going to come. I guess especially because uh, David Warner has has gone through the process of trying to get his captaincy ban uh, overturned and then given up on that process. But we'll talk more specifically about that later. Let's uh, let's talk about. South Africa and Australia. I mean, Bharat, Australia couldn't have had much of a better run in as far as being match hardened. Uh, although, mm. although injuries um, are a little bit of concern with Josh, Josh Hazelwood already having to drop out of this next test with a side strain uh, and Pat Cummins coming back from a quadriceps injury. So looks like he's going to be okay. Scott Boland coming into the side, no bad replacement. How, how do you see Australia shaping up? Might they be a bit weary or will they just be, you know, in the midst of their top sort of level of, of mid-season kind of play, I guess? Firstly, hi, Mel. Yeah, I <laughs> hope I'm not frozen still. Uh, You're not uh, frozen. Yeah, it wasn't a three-minute salute. Hopefully. It was. Yeah, you, you, yeah. I felt very respected. <laughs> well, there's a lot of respect. There's a lot of respect, you know that. Uh, look, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just a strange build-up to this South Africa series for uh, for Australia, right? I mean, they'll be happy with obviously having you know, recorded two very convincing wins, uh, test wins against the West Indies. Uh, and a lot of their guys seem to have uh, gone into the right rhythm. I mean, Usman Khawaja will be kicking himself for not having made more hundreds. Uh, you know, he's mis- missed out. He's looked so good. And then literally just just find ways uh, or has found ways of getting out. Uh, Manas, is, it feels like the summer of Manas again. Uh, he just is batting really well. And uh, he did have luck in the first uh, test, which we've come to expect almost from him. But after that, it's been pretty chanceless. And, uh, and Steve Smith, Again, he would be kicking himself for having missed out in Adelaide. Uh, he was kicking himself as he walked off after getting a zero. So batting-wise, um, the top four or five uh, and uh, Harry uh, is in great <laughs> form. He also did. Like Everybody seems to be kicking themselves. Like Because that's the kind of series it was. It was one where 
it was more about who really missed out on making runs rather than uh, who made runs. It, it, the West Indian bowling, let's face it, was not uh, at at many periods was not up to test standard, unfortunately. And uh, the Australians rightly cashed in the guys who did Manus and Travis Head and Steve Smith. To an extent, uh, David Warner, who you said we will talk about later, of about the off-field stuff. Uh, he's had an he's had a weird uh, test year, I believe. Like he's looked very good. He's worked more on his batting than usual, almost. Uh, and even the periods he spent out in the middle, he's looked good. But he just like you know found found ways of getting out in a strange way, like the chasing wide deliveries, which he generally would just put away dragging them on or edging them after looking really good. Uh, like we saw in the first innings here in Adelaide, three boundaries of Alzari Joseph, pretty much of the same kind, wide and just slashed away and then falls in that same fashion. So uh, in that sense, they're, they're all like, you know, they, they, they should be primed and ready for South Africa. At least they've got runs behind them, uh, most of those top five. Uh, but Cam Green looked a little out of sorts uh, in the in the second test. Uh, he seems to, at least in that one outing, it looked like he was really overthinking the whole technique bit and where his back leg was going, where his front leg was going. And as a result, he just uh, batted himself into a hole. And of course, there was a run out where Travis Head kind of... Uh, he, I've, I've never seen uh, a cricketer look so shaken by what his teammate has said as Cam Green looked. Because of the camera angle as well, you could see Trav, Travis Head saying whatever he was saying. And then you could see Cam Green just like do that. It was quite dramatic. Uh, I don't know what Travis Head said, but it looked like they had patched up by the end of that game. Uh, so he, uh, you know, in Australia will need runs from number six down, uh, you you assume, against the South African attack. Because, uh, like you said, you've seen South Africa play in that practice game. Uh, Elgar got runs. Some of the bowlers did well. But um, it's it's more the South African bowlers that uh, Australia would, uh, I wouldn't say fear, but would really be keen on watching. Uh, it's not to say that they don't have a strong batting lineup that is South Africa, but uh, it's not the the kind of batting lineup they had when Australia last played them in that infamous series in 2018. Like, you know, all those biggish names are gone. Elga is still around, but uh, there are a lot of other guys that will kind of bat around him, uh, right? And that's how the shape of, of their batting lineup is. Some exciting players, of course, but uh, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of uh, team. And, and just speaking to some uh, people who know South African cricket really well, uh, even the the interim coach right now uh, and and just how he goes about his cricket he's not the kind of guy who really apparently believes in sticking it up to the opposition like you know in terms of uh riling them up and what 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 it would have been like if mark boucher was still coach and he had dean elgar as captain i mean those two together from what i hear they might have gone that route try to get the australians rattled with uh, a lot of uh, you know verbals, but apparently this coach is not one who subscribes to that. So it'll be interesting to see how that aspect plays out. Uh, but from an Australian perspective, I think uh, uh, yeah, they couldn't have had a uh, asked for a better series to get into that real confident mode. Uh, I spoke about the batters, the bowlers, the same. Uh, I mean injuries. It's Josh Hazelwood seems to be having a repeat of what happened last year playing the first test and then uh, starting with soreness that leads to him not playing and then soreness 
uh, being revealed as a slightly more serious injury. But uh, at least speaking to the uh, team physio the other day feels like uh, uh, he should be it's it's not as serious as last year and he should be ready for the latter half of the summer which is good news for Josh Hazelwood uh but like you said yeah, they have a ready made uh, you know walk in replacement in Scott Boland it's a pity that Michael Nisa is not being spoken of in the same breath considering he averages 16.74 in test cricket which is not very bad either i know it's no 10 but it's not bad <laughs> but yeah <laughs> it, it yeah it, it's it's good, interesting i mean it's going to be uh, you are ex- and also, there is a lot of pressure on South Africa because of the way the West Indies folded uh, toward the latter half of that series, Nell, to make this summer slightly competitive, right? It, <laughs> I, it can almost tell has... you, I can tell you, South Africa won't give two hoots about, about any pressure to make it more competitive for Australia. They don't care. No, no, no. I'm not, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I phrased that wrongly. I mean, uh, from a personal front, like, you know, it almost <laughs> reminds me of how uh, we built up from Pakistan to New Zealand in 2019. Like, where, uh, because Pakistan were pretty poor, you almost uh, wanted the New Zealand series to be more competitive. Like, you know, because there was, if you remember, that was a proper good strong New Zealand side and a proper bowling attack that New Zealand had. So you kind of expected them to really be the team that uh, run Australia uh, in a hard and like, you know, maybe push Australia. But it wasn't to be. So we'll see if that happens with the South African side. I mean, I know South Africa have a great record in Australia, but it's not the same team. I know you're much closer to the South African team than I am, but I'm just speaking as a pure neutral from what I've seen of them in the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't call me non-neutral just because I've been up here. I mean, it's good because I, you know, I was lucky enough. I, I was in England to be able to watch that series against England and cover the tour match before and cover the tour match. So I feel like it's my South Africa year as far as watching a lot of them in the certainly in the sort of second half of this year. Uh, and they've and going back and sort of looking at South Africa over the past kind of couple of years. I mean, Dean Elgar's only lost. I have to say it the right way because he actually corrected me. Just so you know, Dean, Dean Elgar, it's Elgar, not Elgar, by the way. Um, I only just found this out. Uh, we do have a video. He went through the, the pronunciations of all the South African players and kind of gave me a lesson. So that's going to be on my YouTube channel in case you want to check it out because it is amazing. I, I cannot believe I've, I've been saying Dean Elgar's name wrong. All of these years. That's and I'm not the only one. I know that I'm not the only one. So yeah, if you want to actually find out, uh, I do have a pronunciation guide. So look out for that. It'll be up in the next couple of days. Um, But since he became captain, they've only lost one series, and that was the series against England. And the way they've done that has basically been on the back of a very strong bowling attack, as you mentioned, and by the batters being able to do enough. So there, it's been a big talking point, obviously, in South African cricket about the fact that they've hardly had any centurions. Uh, in the mm. past, I think I counted in England, it was going back 13 games, so it must be like maybe 15 games now, um, 15, 16 games. They've only had, I think, four centurions in that time, which is not a lot, right? Um, so... Uh, I mean, Blumen Manus has scored almost that many centuries this this Mm. summer so far. But they've had a lot of players who have chipped in with 
40s, 50s, 60s, that, those kinds of scores, including the middle and lower order. Marco Janssen scored, uh, he scored 48 at Lords, for example. That's the kind of contribution that mm. he can bring in. So, so they've, they've kind of been able to do enough. And the caveat that that comes with is that they've, I guess that they've also batted in some tricky batting environments, including in South Africa, where everyone is telling me, including the players, that it's been a lot more difficult to bat on. Again, Tiennis de Brain said that if he um, if he could, he'd take that that pitch from Alan Borderfield, roll it up, and take it with him everywhere he would. So, so that's quite interesting as well. I think the big question is going to be around the batting, and then within that, what balance South Africa goes for in the side because they don't really have the, a, a genuine all-rounder like Cam Smith, form notwithstanding, in their side. Probably the closest is, is, is Marco Janssen, I, I guess. He's batted above uh, Carl Verena. He, he did in England at one point. I think at Lords he batted above him. So, you know, the, the balance of the side I think is going to be really interesting for South Africa because their strength is undoubtedly... They're bowling. And even Dean Elgar, Elgar himself, you know, talk about them batting around him. It, it's been a while since he's made a big score. He made 100 at AB Field, which is great for him. But I think overall South Africa will be happy with what they got out of that warm-up match because he did get 100. Um, you look at Temba Bavuma, who uh, there's been a lot of talk about that that second century for him being a long time coming Um uh, he's, he's in and out of form. He had a little bit of a break after the World Cup. He's coming back from that elbow injury. Didn't bat in the first innings because he, he jarred it in the nets. But he only scored 28. I think what they'll be most pleased about is he faced 92 balls. And that is at least as valuable as any runs he scored, just having that amount of time. Mm. Uh, that De Bruyne, I thought, batted brilliantly. He got 80-odd and looked super aggressive. Um, Rassi van der Dusen got some runs as well. So I, I think they'll be feeling, I think batting conditions will actually suit their batters better in Australia where the bounce is truer. They can kind of trust that a little bit more. Um, and uh, they seem to lift when they come to Australia, generally South Africa. So while they are missing that star-studded lineup, I guess, um, I, I think they'll be feeling quietly confident and hopeful that their, their batting can stand up a bit more in Australia. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting series and I do hope it lives up to it. Crash Craddock and I had a big chat during this game and he's written about it today uh, and I did tweet it out there. It, it's terrible that this series does not have a trophy. We have all these trophies for every series. This is one of the great rivalries. It's an outlier because teams don't usually beat each other away. But Australia and South Africa in the past 10 years, well, South Africa have won here three times. Australia have won over there once. Um, the brilliant series, you know, when Michael Clark faced up to Stain and, and, and Morkel mm. and took all those body blows. So I, I think this deserves a name. And the match referee who was sitting in the box next to me throughout that was Kepler Vessels put it out there, a few people suggested it, suggested it could be the vessel's vessel, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it. But it deserves a name. And I, I think if you have a name, please come and suggest it to us because uh, I definitely think it deserves one. Yeah? Yeah, no, no. I, uh, we had this uh, discussion on radio during the series and we opened it up to um, 
immediately people to come up uh, with suggestions like so there were a few naughty ones trust me but like oh, uh, yeah. Kepler yeah. Kepler vessels just is is the most obvious like you know uh, Australian South African connection I mean Manus Labuschagne's not too far away nor is Michael Nisa mm. though that, obviously they're they a long way away Kepler vessels was captain I mean that's you know I know I know, I, know. I mean like uh, but uh, no I mean I would like, because it's been so uh, dominated by by pace uh especially in recent years i, I don't mind a maybe a stain johnson or a uh, something McDonald. to do with fast mcgrah yeah mcgrah donald McGrath, almost, donald even. <laughs> you, yeah you don't think of alan donald too much when you think of or donald and mcgrah when you think of australia south africa rivalry strangely yeah, alan donald almost comes across as like when you think alan donald you think England like you know his mm. best performances seem to be yeah so but i hope it's just too fast so i mean yeah but kepler's kepler's kepler vessels uh, is uh, the obvious and also it sounds like you've been spending a lot of time in queensland mel you just said australia have a great all-rounder in cam smith so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i can't believe i have been spending too much time in queensland wow that's a good one um cam smith Cam Green, even. You know who I mean. You know who I mean. Uh, Look, anyway, we're going to take a short break. And after, we're going to have a little bit more of a chat about the situation surrounding Dave Warner. I'm Jared Kimber, and I host two podcasts on 99.94. Red Inca, which is chats on trends and stories within the game, with a weekly Q&A where I can be asked about anything from a time-travelling Don Bradman to which cricket ground serves the best food. And Double Century, I look at the historical stories that make cricket what it is today. You can search for either of them in your favourite podcast platform or on the 99.94 DM app. Well, while Australia have been on the field and there's been a lot of talk about David Warner's form uh, and his run of scores and whether, you know, he might be in trouble for India. You've had uh, Andrew McDonald backing him and saying he's very much in their plans. Mm. But there's been a lot going on off the field and we do have to, to touch on that because it's obviously been a major story. And because that's come up now, just before the South Africa series, it feels like it's just stirred everything mm. up again at the the just the right time. I mean, it's funny when South Africa have come out here and, you know, it, it, obviously Sandpaper Gate was fractious, but but even before that, the infamous Mint Gate um, series, yeah. gee, that was fractious as well. Um, but it feels like this time all South Africa have to do is sit back and it's Australian cricket that's bringing all the controversy and drama yeah. in on itself. Um it's it sort of reminds me a little bit of the Langer situation, just in that the wheels turn very slowly at Cricket Australia, and it's a it's such a corporate organisation that sometimes all the protocols and rules and regulations and box mm. ticking ends up being like a straitjacket to making common sense decisions that you know get, will get things done in a timely fashion. Um, and so then from the outside, it ends up looking like kicking the can down the road, which is exactly what we talked about when we talked about the Langer situation. When you keep kicking a can down the road, at some point, that can is going to start spilling worms. Um, and that's the case again here with David Warner. He didn't want to go through a whole public hearing regurgitation of all the details uh, in Sam- that were involved in that that 
that match in in Cape Town. Where do you sit on that? Do you think there should have been a public hearing? It seems for a player who's, what, now 36, Mm. it's not like he has a huge captaincy career planned or wanting that. It's it's more about, I think, the, I guess, the, um, I don't know, feeling that that there's some injustice to this band still hanging over his head. Steve Smith's been able to go and captain Australia mm. several times or a couple of times with injuries to Pat Cummins. Do, do you think that he's, he's justified in in coming out? I mean, obviously his, his manager, James Erskine, made some incredibly inflammatory uh, comments on radio mm. and that has stirred things up even more. Yeah, I mean, also this whole kicking the can down the road uh, phenomena is such a, I mean, it tells you about the density of population of a country when you can get away with it, right? I don't think you can uh, get away with kicking a can down the road for too long in a country like India. I mean, either (laughs) someone will come and grab the can or there'll be like 18 street dogs running after you. So I don't think (laughs) it's a a concept for uh, the first world. It's a first world problem. I think that's the most first world of first world problems. But you're right. I mean, we've discussed this about so many other issues with Cricket Australia, right? Tim Bain, Justin Langer, uh, and who knows? So there, I'm sure there will be more uh, where, yeah, they just, uh, when a situation like this arises, rather than being timely about sorting it out and uh, finding an actual solution, like you said, they kind of just uh, wait for the the whole everything to just kind of blow up on the public uh, pu- public space, uh, even though they, they will tell you that's not what they want, want happening. But, you know, this process started in February. They could have easily, even if they, whatever process they wanted to put in place, uh, whatever corporate protocol, they could have still sorted it out. I mean, the whole aim should have been to sort it out before the cricket summer starts so mm-hmm. that it doesn't kind of play into the cricket summer. But once again, as we've seen, they've made the same mistake. Uh, uh, Nick Hockley hasn't come uh, out of this looking very, very good, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. Not like someone who's in control as the boss of uh, Cricket Australia or the man in in charge of running things anyway. Uh, and I've always believed, look, and, and it's totally understandable that David Warner... Uh, wanted the leadership band to end because I've always believed it's and I'm with Steve Smith when he says it's fundamentally wrong what do you mean by a life lifetime ban on leadership like uh, if they can't they can nothing be nothing called a lifetime ban unless you're banning someone from playing itself like like are you saying that he's whoever that person is he or she is accepted back in the system but we are saying they can never improve they can never be uh, responsible enough to be a leader like then why are they there in the first place, right? Like, doesn't make sense uh, in, in many ways. So that was their first mistake. And from the moment they did that, it was, there was, it was in 2018, and we've discussed, all of us have discussed this to ad nauseum over the years about how much of an overreaction that was. And yeah, Australia felt embarrassed as a country, so somebody had to pay for it. And it was obvious that David Warner, who's always been the scapegoat for a variety of reasons, good or bad, uh, was the one who you know copped the the most serious of uh, punishments in that case, uh, and and we've seen in the year years since he's come back, he's uh, uh, obviously matured like everyone uh, on and off the field. He's been a leader on the field. You can see that 
uh, whether it's during training or whether especially during matches where uh, he's just, he's always there with inputs for captains, for bowlers, uh, and, and and just generally, right? Like he has got that that ability to do that. I've seen him do that in the IPL for years. There's so many young cricketers who um, kind of swear by David Warner, who played under him in Sunrisers, uh, even before Sandpaper Gate, like, you know, and they won the IPL in 2016. So he's always been a born leader in that sense. But uh, what I've never understood is like, okay, fine, you have protocols, but at some point you need to go look beyond the protocols, especially in 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 um in this scenario where uh, it's not that you're judging the performance of someone in the, in, the, in a corporate business world where I'm, I'm guessing at times it's not as tangible, it's not as obvious as it is in sport, right? For with whether you want, if you want to know if David Warner has matured or he's become responsible enough, you just have to look at him, how he's gone about his cricket in the last five years. Speak to the people who matter, who are actually his teammates, when it comes to him being captain. I know in Australia it matters what the public thinks, and maybe, yeah, that has something to do with it. And you and I have discussed this in the past, but uh, it, it should have been. Uh, maybe it's just too simplistic on my part, my in in like you know from for me to think like that. But even if there were protocols, at least sort them out before it's time for uh, you know the cricket season to begin. Like I said earlier, and of course David Warner doesn't want to retire with uh, this this legacy of having had this leadership ban. Obviously, he would want it overturned. Whether he gets to captain Australia again or not, he would want that to go away. But at the same time. Uh, the moment there was even a hint, like we've heard from Cricket Australia and others, that uh, maybe David Warner and his team didn't understand the extent of it, that that they weren't Cricket Australia or the, the investigation or the, whatever the hearing would not have involved uh, bringing back scenes from 2018 and for him to relive, him and his family to relive it. But that's beside the point, right? Once he even got a hint that that could happen, Obviously, he or his family would not want to put themselves through it again. So, yeah, just a, another messy affair that, uh, you know, Cricket Australia have just left played out. And uh, uh, it's it has an ugly end. So, again, uh, the first, the two tests so far, they've started on a pretty non-cricketing, uh, <laughs> uh, almost frustrating note with Langer, the Langer situation in Perth and the David Warner situation in Adelaide. And also it kind of looked even odder because you had, like you said, Steve Smith captaining at the side. You know, it, it just added another element to the whole, the messiness of the whole situation. Yeah. And just as a side note, I know that it wasn't directly related to that, but it was really disappointing to hear about the abuse that Candace Warner copped at, at, yeah, at Adelaide exactly. Oval. I mean, there with two with, with her little girls. That's I know, just, I know. That's, you know, I, I think I don't have to be a parent to oh, think no, of that not, that yeah. would be horrible. But, you know, I, I think I think people could be better than that. And, um, Should be. It, you know, the, the, she copped some pretty horrendous rubbish um, when – when she was in South Africa in 2018, that was really oh, yeah. nasty. And then she's copying it here in Australia. It's like, uh, so I, I, I feel for her. I don't think that she should be copying anything. That's, you yeah, know, that's just, that's just pretty awful. So come on, Australia. I think we can do better than that. Um, okay, we're going to take a final break. And when we come back, we're going to have a little chat about uh, Australia and India women doing battle over in India in front of some very, very impressive crowds. 
Hi, I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of the India on 99.94 podcast. Several times each week, my co-host Sarah Waris and I will be bringing you the very best in Indian cricket chat. Whether we're discussing the legend of Julan Goswami, KL Rahul's strike rate, the men's T20 death bowling woes, or the latest controversy involving the BCCI, we've got you covered. You can listen and subscribe via your usual podcast provider. Just search for India on 99.94. You can watch us via YouTube and you can download the 99.94 app. If you love Indian cricket, then join our conversation. Welcome back to Australia on 99.94. Melinda Farrell here with Bharat Sundaresan. And as someone born in Australia and someone born in India, kind of nice to see the two countries doing battle uh, over there uh, under a new, new captain in Elisa Healy taking charge. And can I just say, girl from Orange, Phoebe Litchfield, making her debut as well. So I was... I was as proud as, you know, obviously uh, the unofficial ambassador for Orange. I was particularly proud to see Phoebe Litchfield out there who, you know, been watching her for a couple of years thinking that she wasn't very far away at all. I remember you and I talking to Matthew Mott when he was in charge of uh, of Australia, before, like that was during the 2019, 20, yeah, no, 2020 before, Women's before. World Cup. Before the pandemic. Yeah, just before the pandemic, talking to him about how close Phoebe Litchfield was and he said she wasn't far off. She made it. Um, So that's really been really great to see for me. Uh, But also... Can I just stop stop you there, Mel? I think uh, you have another reason to be proud of Orange. I heard Orange being mentioned on radio the other day. Pete Lawler, of course, the king of beer, uh, um, had an extended run talking about beer and lager on world lager international lager day i think it was day two of the test or day three of the test and you know how he comes up with the 20 best beers the 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 famous list Mm -hmm. and number one this time the beer comes from orange no way which one do you remember uh, is it Badlands oh, no. or Yes, it is Badlands. Badlands, yes, nice. Oh, I'll have to I'll have to commend him. Finally, those 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 uh paper bags of $20 notes have finally <laughs> finally got the beer editor of the Australian. Uh that's very very exciting. Oh, good. Yeah, so lots of reasons to be proud of Orange, um including beer. Uh but in India, I think, you know, there's it's a really exciting cricket played between the two sides were the really great thing. The crowd, 45,000 people, wasn't it, showing up. Mm. And I I think it's not just a crowd for its own sake. I think to have this series at this time, just ahead of when the women's IPL is due to start, is massive because there's so much untapped potential uh, for women's cricket there. Someone was actually telling me quite recently that they'd been – there had been a lot of research done in in India uh, about mm-hmm. women's cricket and and apparently the demographic of kind of sort of the, the middle-aged men, um, that kind of demographic, are really keen to watch women's cricket. So that's probably sort of more traditional mm. sort of audience. But apparently yeah. there, there's a, a real desire to see more women's cricket as well as obviously then that there's 
traditionally been this, oh, traditionally, but in recent years there's been this idea that women's cricket can bring in younger fans and yeah. women and, and all of that. But apparently even in the more traditional age group demographic, there's a, a real desire to see it. So to have that must be enormously encouraging before the, the women's IPL kicks off. Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and uh, a great exposure for, um, you know, uh, high-class women's cricket as well. Uh, I, I, Jared and I were talking about it the other day, Mel. Like, India, Australia, women have developed quite the rivalry, right? Mm. Like, behind the scenes almost. Uh, um, India ended their ODI run, unbeaten run last year. Uh, and now they've ended their unbeaten T20I run uh, this year. And, and just the battles that they've had in World Cups, in bilaterals, especially in the last three, four years, there seems to be like this nice uh, competitive rivalry building up in the Commonwealth Games as well, not to forget. So, uh, yeah, and also where it's played, right? Uh, I remember Australia women, uh, the women's team has been coming to Mumbai quite a bit like during my time as a journalist uh, I can think back to at least 10 years ago the first time I must have covered a Australia women's game in 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 my home city and they generally played at uh, uh, the CCI Prabhon Stadium where they are going to play the I think the remaining three games of that series or they would play at uh, BKC um, uh, which is in in Bandra, like, but these are grounds which don't have the kind of access that uh, Dy Patel has, like, because both are uh, you know part of a cricket club. So one section is automatically you know kind of uh, cordoned off for the members, and they're not the most e- uh, or the easiest to to get into. CCI obviously are much more accessible than BKC for sure, uh, but not venues where you you'll see like the kind of crowd that we saw at D.Y. Patel. And D.Y. Patel is also uh, in, in in a part of Mumbai, it's New Bombay, where uh, you have a lot of uh, people in that demographic, the one that you mentioned, that middle class, uh, people who are making good money these days. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, New Bombay is where you went if you couldn't afford to live in Bombay. Uh, or if you weren't from originally from Mumbai, like, like me, like the settlers would go to New Bombay. Uh, so... Uh, now that it's so far developed in or it has developed in the last 20 years and they divide partly is perfectly placed in the middle of all those uh, suburbs that have sprouted in the last 20 25 years uh, so it's got that nice uh, feel to it it's got a great stadium feel to it uh, so that's added to the whole uh, you know 45000 people uh, energy uh, or the kind of energy 45,000 people will bring to any 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 stadium. So I think it's great that they're doing it. And the games are played prime time. The Indian men weren't playing. Uh, that added to it, which is great. And I think you're right. I mean, Indian the Indian women's team are... Uh, back in the day, it was almost like they had a, uh, a shared audience, right? There was a section of those who watched men's cricket who would watch women's cricket as well, like on the side, if men's cricket wasn't happening. But now I think they're getting their own dedicated audience uh, as well in India. And, you know, when you're talking India, relatively speaking, the numbers just uh, take care of themselves, right? Like when you have a dedicated audience, it would be a big number compared to the rest of the world. And it's perfect, like you said, a few months out from that first ever women's IPL. Uh, this sets a great precedent. And, and look, in, in the past when they've had those IPL challenges, I do remember them playing the first ever 
uh, it was a one-off game, a women's challenger or something they called in Mumbai, uh, in the afternoon of one of the IPL, the men's IPL uh, knockout games. And I remember being at the Wankade and not many people showed up for it because it was a weekday. Uh, it was, I think the game started at 2 p.m. on a hot May day. So nobody was expected to show up. But now that they're playing prime time uh, in these big venues, uh, or venues which will see a lot more people. It, it it all just is adds to that whole the build like you know the burgeoning aura of uh, women's women's cricket itself in India, and it'll play nicely into the women's IPL and and the other challenges that they have had since. I'm not sure they've been held in uh, the bigger centers, not to my knowledge. So this is great signs that. Uh, this is happening and also seeing some of the clips of what the Australian women have been up to, uh, you know, <laughs> off the field. It's been so lovely, like, you know, Phoebe Litchfield, like, uh, indulging in fielding drills with the, the I think, the teenage crowd or the teenage cricketers, uh, women's cricketers in Mumbai. It, it's great to see. I think the Australians are also embracing that aspect of it because they'll all play into it, like, you know, yeah. being part of the women's IPL. These are huge names, right? Like Enlise Perry or all of them. Alicia Healy, Ash Gardner, Alana King, of course. India will uh, gain yeah. ownership of for obvious reasons. Uh, they are already big names in India. They'll only get bigger once the IPL starts. And that's that's wonderful for the women's game. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I don't think we even really comprehend. We keep saying it if, with every sort of major event, gosh, you know, it's come so far in such a short space of time. Next year, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what actually does happen and what it does for the women's game because we might be sitting here in, you know, a year or two going, gosh, we thought things had moved quickly before then, (laughs) but then look what happened after. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time uh, and it's great to see that the series has, has been such a, such a success over there. We might talk a little bit more about the actual games um, next time we chat as well. But uh, that's it for us for today. You have to go get yourself ready and jump on a plane, Parat, and come up and join me in Brisbane. Woohoo! And <laughs> you we'll look excited. watch Cam Smith together. Yeah, watch Cam yeah. Smith. I can't believe it. And, you know, <laughs> there are two Cam Smiths and they're both from Queensland. So it is seriously about, obviously, about me being <laughs> up here. I can't believe I said that. Like, that will probably <laughs> be a news story somewhere. That's happened to me before. Presenters, awkward blunder. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and listening to Australia on 99.94 where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at BeastieBoy07 and at Melinda Farrell. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous 
odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.